the Democracy Nerd. I am Jefferson Smith. Recently, the president tweeted, new president, different kind of tweet, writing, here's the deal. If you spent $3 on your coffee this morning, that's more than 55 corporations paid in taxes in recent years. He vowed, this is going to change. Well, is it going to change? Should it change? To navigate some of that is Susan Harley, Managing Director of Public Citizens Congress Watch Division. Susan, welcome to Democracy Nerd. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's start first just laying the groundwork of public citizens. This is a Ralph Nader organization. What was founded in the 70s? Tell us the backstory. Sure. Yes, absolutely. We were started in 1971. We are a consumer protection organization. We have about 500,000 members and supporters across the country. And we stand up for everyday citizens in the halls of Congress. Um, so we're working on behalf of the little guy and gal um, against big corporations. That's what we do on the day-to-day. Before we get into a detailed discussion of the Price of Zero report, and that's the report you put out we want to talk about, I want to make sure about the math. Uh, there are companies right now that are spending a lot of money on lobbying, right? So a, fr- a friend of mine has a... Uh, a friend of mine's family, one of the family members is one of the chief lobbyists for one of the big five tech companies. And the compensation there is significant. And the uh, and they have essentially an unlimited budget. When they were talking about their budget for lobbying, it was essentially unlimited, but it was limited by they didn't want to spend more by a meaningful amount than the other big tech companies because they didn't want that itself to become a major issue. Right. So they're concerned about the optics more than about the money, which is interesting because it's still a sizable amount of money. Uh, if they're paying no taxes, then that, and I'm not saying this company wasn't paying any taxes, but if somebody's paying no taxes, that, of course, leaves a little bit of money left over to spend on lobbying, et cetera. Uh, and we know the Supreme Court has ruled that anything they do politically is protected speech. Uh, is it a matter? Is, is there is there a coincidence or is it in fact coincide for purpose that as more resources have gone into lobbying and uh, expenditures on campaign uh, work that the tax uh, the share of the overall tax burden if you want to use that phrase has gone down are those things linked well, I would say just generally money in politics happens to help those who want to keep the status quo. So certainly we see that time and time again. Um, you know, we'll just go back to say that our report builds off the excellent research that was done by the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy. So a lot of the companies that are on the top of this list of you know the, the 55 companies that paid zero taxes in 2020, um, certainly, they are some of the top lobbyists, but but some of the the very top lobbyists um, are not on this list because they're not companies. They they represent companies. So, um, for instance, trade associations like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, consistently at the top of the lobbying cycle. So, um, you know, part of what you were talking about is sort of like dark money spenders when there's disclosed spending and undisclosed spending. What, uh, what we looked at in this Price of Zero report was the disclosed spending, um, both on the lobbying side of things as well as in campaign contributions. Now, how these companies influenced elections using that um, precedent that came out of uh, Citizens United case back in 2010 
that's just unknown. We can't exactly know how much actually went into those elections by commercials, things like that, that influence the election but are not disclosed. So um, just wanted to put that clarification out there. But certainly, um, when you look at the savings that companies have received and the, and the amount of money that they spent, uh, one does start to ask questions. And that's a lot of the reason that we put this sort of research together so that uh, we can uh, connect some of the dots. So some of those dots, do you have an idea of how much these City 5 companies have spent on lobbying or politics? Do we know that? Of course, we keep, maybe some of that is secret, so you don't get to know, but some have, some have got to be publicly traded. Well, yeah, this is a, well, it, this is all disclosed spending. So certainly uh, there's the Lobby Disclosure Act that requires you to put uh, disclosures on a quarterly basis of how much you spend lobbying to influence legislation. Uh, it's really vague. You can only say, like, I, I uh, worked on taxes, so you don't exactly know which specific tax break they're w- looking to keep in place. And then we looked at disclose campaign contributions. And I should say, we, uh, meaning a researcher on our team, Mike Tinglis, wrote this report. And so, um, yes, what Mike found was that those 55 companies that spent zero dollars in 2020, that paid $0 in taxes in 2020, spent nearly $450 million in campaign and lobbying contributions combined. So um, before they were, um, they would have paid quite a lot of taxes on that because those combined companies made uh, $40.5 billion in revenue during that same time period. So about, so about 1% of their uh, 1% of the pre-tax revenue uh, if, and maybe the best money they've ever spent, right? Cause who's to say, cause that wouldn't have all been uh, maybe probably not even mostly, most of that money probably wouldn't have been spent on tax lobbying, right? Like most of that lobbying would be spent on the regulatory landscape that those, each of those companies was dealing with. Uh, and, and, you know, variety, you know, maybe antitrust would be a, a significant issue for a bunch of them. Uh, so, uh, so the money they're spending lobbying seems to have, a, you know, pro- probably a, a pretty darn high delta. The How do you know these 55 companies, are, they're all publicly traded how, how, and that's why you have all the data? Uh, they There are different disclosures. So even if a company is not publicly traded, but still lobbies, um, and meets certain thresholds, then they have to disclose in the Lobby Disclosure Act um, disclosure databases. And you can find that both the House and the Senate websites. Um, and then we work with uh, an organization, Open Secrets, that does the uh, campaign contribution research. So they pull from a number of different sources. They pull from disclosures made to federal regulators regarding that a type of spending and campaigns that is still disclosed. What surprised you most about the report? Oh gosh, I would not say any of it was surprising, um, partly because um, you know this has been a trend over time of these companies. Um, not paying any taxes and, um, you know, doing a significant amount of lobbying. I would say some of the um, interesting things are companies that are not on this list, um, like Facebook and Amazon are not on this list, even though they're quite big spenders. Um, but that being said, I would say um, all these companies are, are you know, quite good at, at getting their way generally. And so, um, I wasn't surprised to see that they were um, dumping a whole bunch of money to try to keep the status quo. 
And what was the what was the crux of the report? What were you trying to show? Were you trying to show, hey, here's big numbers. There's big companies who who uh, bring in lots of revenue and spend some of it on uh, on political activity. What, was, what were you hoping to learn, or what do you think was learned? Yeah, well, we were just adding a layer to ITEP's excellent research and basically saying, you know. You started this off by talking about how President Biden talks about how companies are paying zero. Everyone is talking about that stat and saying uh, they're paying zero taxes. So, you know, everyone sort of thinks of that stat only. And I think it's just important to say, but also, even though they're paying no taxes, they are paying money to lobby and paying money on campaign contributions. So it's not as if um, there's not money in their pockets to be spent on keeping uh, things the way the that they'd like to keep them, keep that status quo for them. Um, so I think it's just an important add on to the research to say um, these companies are quite active in our political sphere. And so you need to keep that um, also in your mind when you're thinking about the fact that they're paying no taxes. All right. So and how is it? I, I want to dig in a little bit. And some of this goes maybe beyond the scope of your report, but I really want to understand it. How do you end up getting and is this through the lobbyist disclosure form? How do you get pre-tax revenue from a company that pays no tax. Why? Because they still submit a tax return. And But how do you know they pay zero taxes? How's What's the disclosure like? Yeah. So again, this is all building on ITEP's research. So what they do is they look at disclosures to um, the SEC. So they sort of pull in that information because there are footnotes in those SEC filings that say, um, basically how much tax liability or how much taxes the, the companies have paid. And so um, it's, you know, the ability to kind of parse through those SEC filings to find out um, what they're disclosing to their shareholders for the most part. Um, and then the way ITAP's report, um, you know, pulled in some of the write-offs that they were, these companies were using, these 55 companies, for things like stop, stock option-related expense write-offs, accelerated depreciation, which allows companies to immediately write off the cost of capital investments. And then a big one is also something called research and experimentation credits. So um, utilizing those sort of write-offs, they're able to take down their tax liability to either pay zero or in fact get a rebate. So how do we know and do we know if companies out of these 55 companies got rebates, not just zero in taxes, but sort of made money on taxes. And, uh, and what is that number? So they did get back money. So it was $3.5 billion in rebates. And so that on top of the tax that they would have paid, which is 8.5 billion comes to a total of 12 billion in tax uh, giveaways that they received in 2020. So the way we know that is because ITAP researched that and they found that in the SEC filings. So if, if, if they got back about three and a half billion dollars and they spent, you know, about half a billion dollars on politics and lobbying, their the, what they get back in tax rebates is, you know, 7x. They had three billion dollars left over from, uh, from, from tax rebates. What are the 55 now I know that if a company is not profitable, then the whole idea is you're not going to pay taxes or not profitable. Right? You're going to pay taxes on profits. Uh, maybe you pay some tax, you know, sales tax, certain transactions taxes. There's those who advocate for a wealth tax, but generally speaking, if you're taxed on profits, then if you have no profits, 
you don't pay taxes. These 55 companies, do they describe themselves as um, not profitable? Oh, these are the profitable companies. ITEP, as it's doing its research, only looked at the corporations that were profitable and paid zero. So they're profitable. And what are the biggest sources of, uh, what, what are the largest mechanisms to get them from, you know, bringing in blank billions of dollars of pre-tax revenue, which would trigger blank billions of dollars worth of taxes, and instead getting, you know, three and a half billion dollars back? Yeah, those are specific write-offs. So they have write-offs for research and experimentation, which is a, a very huge um, giveaway for a lot of companies. There is stock option write-offs. There's accelerated depreciation that allows write-off of capital investment. So those are the major write-offs. But you know, there's tons of loopholes in the tax code. I mean, um, so various companies may have made use of one or the other, and they don't get into specifics. That is not something that's part of the SEC disclosures. So the Paul Ryan tax plan, its basic idea, I guess maybe the Donald Trump tax plan, was its basic idea was uh, we're going to reduce uh, taxes on on the upper income levels, particularly large corporations. But don't worry, they'll still be money brought in and don't worry either because that's a good thing or don't worry because we're going to simplify the tax code so that uh, more companies are in fact going to pay taxes even though some are going to be paying less is there anything in that uh, tax reform package that addressed any of what you're talking about today is this old news not going to happen anymore because well the tax code's been simplified clarified and and loopholes have been reduced or anything been added to it? In fact, no, no, that was just a lark for the media and a few suckers. Uh, what, what do we learn? What can we learn about the most recent major tax legislation? Yeah, so that um, 2017 tax bill um, made a lot of changes and it, it really slashed taxes for both the wealth the wealthy and for corporations. So for instance, the corporate rate used to be 35% before that um, tax law went into place. Now the corporate um, statutory rate is 21%. So huge discount on that. There was also a discount to the top rate that the wealthy individuals pay. There was a problem put in place regarding multinational corporations and further incentivizing offshoring of profits. Um, so there's a lot that was wrong with that legislation. So it certainly did not fix any problems. Um, and the Institute for Taxa- Institution for Taxation and Economic Policy that wrote that 55 company report, they did some follow-up research um, that came out more recently that looked at the trend since the passage of that 2017 law and looked at the companies that pay less than half the st- statutory rate still. So um, companies that are paying less than half of that 21%. So um, there's a lot of companies on there um, that, you know, you know, big name companies. So you can just see if you look at this, it's, it hasn't been fixed. What are some of the companies? And I wouldn't mind if you need 55, but what are, what are some of the companies on here? Yeah. So um, for instance, one of the companies that did make uh, a a few are the same um, that are on there over the years, FedEx, 
Um, so this is 73 companies that paid less than half the statutory rate. And for instance, Amazon's um, rate from 2018 to 2020 was just 4.3%. So more than zero, but much less than 21%. So um, again, there's 73 companies, so I don't think we need to go through all of them, but um, you know, Bank of America is on there. Um, General Motors is on there. Uh, so, you know, I suggest checking out that report because it's um, really interesting to look and show this just wasn't a one-off, it just wasn't 2020, that this was a trend that companies are paying very low rates. That's a little bit of discussion of who. Let's talk about the why or who cares. Why do we care, uh, Susan, if there's some companies who have really good tax lawyers and who are spending a whole bunch on R&D, so maybe there's decisions made that we want companies to be doing these things. We want them to take advantage of these, uh, of, of these tax incentives. That's why the tax incentives are passed in the first instance. Uh, why do you care? I care mostly because when corporations and the wealthy are not paying their fair share, everyone else needs to pick up the tab or the government doesn't make important um, investments in our country. And so I am from Michigan originally. And so looking at something like the Flint water crisis and the state of disrepair of our nation's water structure, uh, water system, we know that we need vast investments into our, our country. Um, things like schools, make sure that we don't have schools that are unsafe for students to go to because of the disrepair or leaking ceilings, um, not enough teachers, not enough textbooks. I mean, we if we are a country that believes in equity, we need a system that supports everyone. And so, um, you know, we're looking at some major investments, both on hard infrastructure and soft infrastructure. That's all of the debate right now. And so we need to make sure that average people are able to have their voice heard and that we don't have corporations drowning out the voices of everyday Americans. And so that's why we wanna make sure everyone understands that companies are active in lobbying to keep the status quo and they don't wanna pay higher taxes. They don't want to pay their fair share. And so um, we need to make the tie. And also we're always as an organization talking about money and politics and how large corporations and their front groups like the U.S. Chamber are able to influence policy because of the money that they put into our political fights. And so um, just telling that story over and over and over is the only way that we'll get change. So that's why it needs to matter to everyone. So these 55 companies that combined to make, was it $40.5 billion in pre-tax revenue? Uh, they made, Does that mean they made 43.5 or $44 billion in post-tax revenue since they got $3 billion back? I would need to look at the methodology on that. So I would not answer that so question let, now. So let's say $40.5 billion uh, in pre-tax revenues, pay zero taxes, but still pay $450 million in lobby and campaign spending. Uh, where are they spending their money? Who's getting this $450 million? So they're giving it to, um, for instance, the National Republican Senatorial Committee received the highest amount. They got $1.3 million total from those companies in the, um, since the 2016 uh, election cycle. Um, 
individual members are receiving a lot of money. Unsurprisingly, the majority leader employer um, received a lot of money from these companies, just given um, the power that, that that person has over what makes it to the House floor. Um, you know, so it really depends, but definitely, um, you know, giving to individual uh, candidates as well as committees. So of the, and I think I know from your report that of the top 25 recipients, what, 20 were Republicans, five were Democrats. Uh, the, those 20 Republicans all voted in favor of the 2017 act you were talking about uh, that, uh, that provided those additional tax cuts. First of all, do I have those facts right? That is correct. Yes. All right. And for what it's worth, apparently the five Democrats who received a bunch of dough uh, voted against that, uh, voted against that bill. Uh, the what I then wonder about is, uh, and if I'm doing the arithmetic in my head, three billion dollars out of 55 companies—that's about 55 million dollars a piece. It's not an insignificant amount of money, right? I mean, they're getting 55 million dollars. There's companies in this country who would really, really like $55 million, right? Who, who, who that's a, that's bigger than, that's more revenue than most companies get in the United States of America. Uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of policies are being discussed now that would impact this? Or is it just part of the overall understanding to say, well, someday maybe there'll be uh, a, a, a U.S. Senate that has uh, a stronger majority of people who want to support uh, the uh, a more graduated tax system. What do you hope to do? Well, we are in the fight of our lives right now um, regarding what can be done. And so what can be done in our very, very um, split uh, Senate and just having 50-50 um, and having the, a bare majority if uh, the vice president is weighing in on the side of Democrats. And so one of the ways that legislation is able to get passed is through an expedited process called reconciliation. And so that is what we're doing right now. There has been a top line number agreed to um, in principle. And then right now the bills are being shaped that will say what um, the spending will go toward as well as what will pay for that spending. And so um, there's a lot on the table right now. Certainly this is a minute by minute discussion. We don't know what's going to ultimately make the deal because it does have to pass the muster of Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin, who are the two most moderate senators. Um, and there has been a lot of changes from what we first saw in the plan, what we saw in the House pass plan versus what Senate finance, those are um, the tax writing committees. Uh, that isn't necessarily what will be in the ultimate plan, but it looks pretty good right now that there will be a 15% minimum tax on corporations uh, for what they report, the profits that they report to their shareholders. So those are called book profits. So that's incredibly important. I mean, certainly there will be allowed for some credit. So I'm not sure um, that all companies will not uh, make use of some of those. And it will only apply to companies that are making more than $1 billion. So again, $1 billion is a huge corporation, but at least it will start to take this on 
And there are some minimum taxes when it comes to international, multinational corporations. This is um, really going along with a global agreement that was through the OECD uh, cooperative entity uh, that will see a minimum global tax across all countries. And so um, really the tide has turned from companies being able to pay zero dollars or use accounting gimmicks to book their profits in companies that they've created in low tax jurisdiction. So we're really taking this on. Um, and so we need everyone to say uh, to their senators that they support having a minimum tax on book profits. And so that's one of the things that we believe will be a pay for for part of these build back better investments that will be passed through this reconciliation process. But again, it's all minute to minute discussions to see what will be made in there. Um, there's also a discussion regarding the stock buyback tax. So this is a way to ensure that companies that are investing in uh, basically getting their CEOs big bonuses or otherwise people who want to see those stock buybacks increase the value of existing shares, um, there'll be a 1% excise tax on the corporations that buy back their own um, stock. And so, um, and then we haven't talked much about the wealthy individual side of things, but um, some reporting from ProPublica has shown that there are many, many very wealthy individuals that pay zero income tax. And so looking at making sure that uh, millionaires have a surtax on their income, that looks likely to make it in for uh, people who make more than $10 million per year, they would have a 5% surtax and an extra 3% for those people who make more than $25 million. So that seems very, very likely. But um, there's also a couple of really good proposals that don't seem to be currently on the table just due to the huge amounts of lobbying that have happened over the couple of weeks. So we are seeing in action as we speak, both um, the policy things that need to happen to make our system more fair and the companies and individuals fighting tooth and nail to make sure they don't actually have to pay more of their fair share of taxes. I want to talk a little bit about language. First of all, thank you very much for that. But I want to talk a little bit about language. You said they're the most moderate. I'm interested in what our definition of moderate is. I don't want to spend the whole show on that, but is there another word? Because it seems to me, if Kristen Sinema, who I've been on a panel with uh, a couple of times, Joe Manchin, who I haven't met, uh, if they were to be described as the most moderate, they're like, heck yes, the message is getting through. And even public citizen is saying it. We are the most moderate. I'm wondering if there's another phrase, if actually the significant majority of the American people think it's probably a good thing for taxation to be based on the ability to pay and that the share of taxation that is paid should not shift entirely to individuals in the middle class and, and working people and away from the biggest pots of money that there are. Uh, is there another word to describe? And you talk about Cinnamon Mansion, but of course, that doesn't count the 50 Republicans who presumably were just saying, okay, well, they're obviously no's. So that's, it, it sort of takes them off the hook entirely and puts all the attention on, on a couple of Democrats. Is there any other word that would describe those 52 no votes on, uh, on this bill other than the most moderate? Well, A, I um, would like to have Cinema and Mansion be a yes vote on this. So I certainly am not going to put them um, in that bucket. Those items that I said seem to have buy-in from those two senators. 
Um, that being said, things like increasing the corporate rate or increasing the top rate on individuals, it's true, for instance, Senator Sinema has said, no, those are a no-go. Um, I'm going to save any um, additional <laughs> words for that until perhaps after we're um, through this fight. But yes, I think um, certainly, um, you know, there are I don't mean mean words. I don't mean like scoundrel. I mean, just descriptive words. Is there some, a way that we should describe elected officials who prioritize uh, keeping taxes low for the highest income spenders? I'm not that interested in name calling. I'm genuinely interested if is moderate the word for that uh, or is there a different word for that? Um. I don't have another word for it um, that I would use on the show. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's I think that's interesting and worth and worth considering. But back to it. I don't mean to distract us too badly. Uh, I, I, you mentioned Kristen Cinema. Uh, I suspect. Well, do you suspect that she has read Public Citizens Price of Zero report, and do you think she has a take on it? I have no idea. I mean, certainly. Um, Many pundits spend all day trying to get into cinema's head. And so I don't spend time trying to figure out what makes her tick, what she reads or doesn't read. Um, I will say that, um, you know, I'm sure she's heard the stat from the ITEP report, though, the, the zero taxes paid by these 55 profitable corporations. And so certainly that is getting into everyone's consciousness. I don't think um, so many people have made the second connection or um, are really familiar with our research on you know this particular report. But that being said, I, I hope so. It would be wonderful if she had and certainly um, her constituents more so. The, uh, do you, are you concerned that one, there might be sort of a doomsday loop, right? Is as uh, political spending goes up and that allows for the greater wielding of power by that, by the people who are spending that political money to then ratchet down the taxes that they spend or even get money back. Does it, and one could imagine that feeds back. I don't know if we have longitudinal information on this, right? Where it used to be there, these 55 corporations paid a little bit, or there were fewer corporations that paid zero, or, you know, these 73 corporations paid more. And by the way, back then, their political expenditure was a little bit down. Are we seeing a trend in this, I guess, is a preliminary question. Uh, we now have this point in time. Uh, do we know anything longitudinally? Well, we have government data on corporations more generally, and certainly they paid much more even during um, very profitable times for them, times where our economy was booming, and so times like the 1950s. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, we have that sort of trend data, but we don't have data on these particular 55 corporations. I, you know, many of them probably were not um, in business back in the 50s, but that'd be an interesting report. I mean, if there is a company that was around then, you know, what were they paying then? What are they paying now? I mean, we're, we're very interested in trends. And I will say that ITEP report looking at the past three years since, um, of tax uh, returns since the passage of that 2017 law, I think, you know, certainly trend information here is very interesting. But as far as saying doomsday um, cycle, like, no, certainly not, because over and over the power of the people, you know, is what breaks the chain is what has, um, 
you know, lawmakers sit up and, and notice. And so, you know, we've been fighting a lot of fights over our, our history at Public Citizen. And we have, you know, won a lot of really important victories over the years. And we don't do it by kind of, you know, um, throwing our hands up in the air and saying, gosh, well, they have so much power, these corporations. And, um, got, you know, how can we beat them back? And, it's the, you know, the only way is to have people get engaged and to call their lawmakers and to show up at rallies, to uh, send a letter to the editor, to, you know, like a tweet, share some, you know, so, social media posts, all of those ways help fight back. And certainly it's a, it's a long fight. I don't, think, you know, everything is going to be fixed tomorrow. But as I noted, we are on the cusp of some very major victories in the tax base. And so that would not be possible without everyone saying, you know, this can't go on. The wealth inequality in our country is, um, you know, really astounding and, and sad. And I think, you know, if you look at something like a statistic, like um, just during the pandemic, billionaires um, having their wealth increased by more than $2 trillion as people are suffering, as people are out of work. I mean, that sort of inequality and injustice, it will not go on. I mean, there is just absolutely no way that we will not win this fight. How, how many years will it take to fully make our tax code unrigged? I don't know the answer to that, but um, we are on the right path. And so I don't feel as if this um, is a fight that we can't win and that people's voices won't overcome. And so um, I couldn't do this work if I didn't believe that. So um, that's, that's what I think. As you think about then what you're doing now, trying to get this word to as many people as possible, because you think if the majority of people hear it, Right, you can fool some of the people all the time, and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all of the time. And if you're trying to get to all of the people as much as you can, as much of the time, um, who helps you in that? I tend to think that so much of these stories are media stories, and when you're talking about the biggest corporations in the world, they have some influence, presumably, on what more and more people hear, or fewer and fewer people hear. Who's helping you tell this story, and who's not helping? Well. Um, certainly, President Biden has been incredible on this issue. I mean, um, while his original tax plan didn't have everything we would have liked to see in it, it was a really excellent plan for tax fairness. And again, it's been sort of like whittled down through this process of reconciliation that, um, you know, definitely has its reasons, behind, you know, money and politics is certainly behind a lot of the um, a lot of the changes that we've we've seen happen in the short term. Um, I'll just give you one example. Um, so there's a lot of taxes owed that are not paid. And so uh, that is because we have starved the IRS for resources. And so one of the things that would happen through this reconciliation package is investment in the IRS. So there can be increased auditing. One of the things that looks perhaps to not going to be included, but has been a big part of discussions in recent past are giving more information to the IRS regarding bank inflows and outflows. And so at first um, looking at a small threshold, they got the threshold up to $10,000. So only those accounts that have 10,000 in annual deposits or withdrawals, um, and that's excluding paychecks and government benefits checks. But that information is essential to having IRS be able to um, really do its job and enforce against these uh, very wealthy individuals. 
who are, um, you know, not paying their taxes. And so we saw banks go crazy lobbying on them. I mean, I haven't obviously pulled the numbers because I mean, these uh, expenditures are happening and the quarterly filings haven't even gone in. But, um, you know, just report after report in the news that the bank was, you know, banks, <laughs> the the financial services industry more generally was fighting tooth and nail that particular change. And so, you know, we can see it happening in real time right now. But that being said, um, certainly uh, having the media tell the story about profitable corporations paying zero taxes. I noted the ProPublica research that has um, shown that wealthy individuals are not paying their taxes. I mean, that was a leak of IRS data, but certainly, um, you know, it, it confirmed what we all suspected was that people like um, Jeff Bezos, who uh, doesn't have to take an income because he can just borrow against the value of his stock. Um, that's actually charged as income. So, you know, we have a lot of examples that we're seeing, but um, I do think that that uh, the, the media story is constantly happening about this. Social media influencers, our own social media team at Twitter, uh, Public Citizens Twitter social media team, um, you know, we're helping to get the word out to everyday people and um, you know, certain lawmakers have been super, super strong on this um, outside of the president. And so um, we have champs who are helping to spread the word, but obviously you're helping too by having this topic on your podcast. So, um, you know, we just try to get the word out there wherever we can. No, and our dozens and dozens of people will, will turn the tide of any discussion, I, I assure you. Uh, yeah, no, but I find it I find it interesting, and I find people are willing to get into uh, getting into the numbers to to uh, sort this stuff out. Really useful. I went into the ITEP, and by the way, for people who are following along at home, it's Institute on Taxation and Economic Pol Policy is ITEP, and they did the what the original research on the on revenues and on and on tax rates, and then what you did was cross reference that with the political spending and lobbying spending from SEC filings. Uh, yes. Well, we. No, the SEC filings was part of the ITEP report. What we okay. did was work with Open Secrets um, Center on Responsive Politics to pull FEC data, so Got Federal it. Election Commission data, um, as well as a separate filing on lobby disclosure. We did that lobby disclosure research. So um, combine those two sources to show the money in politics angle of the ITEP research. So let me go backwards and forgive this, but let me go backwards. Then if there's a bunch, like, is all of the money from these 55 companies in the sun between FEC filings and SEC filings? Is all this money in the sun or is money that is secret, that is not disclosed to when, a can, when it is spent on behalf of a candidate, an independent expenditure campaign, for instance, is that surfaced in some method so it ends up part of report? Or is this $450 million plus some untold amount of money, uh, 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 plus some untold amount of, you know, Cayman Island political money that nobody knows about? Right. This is only disclosed spending. So there, uh, there, you can influence elections in a lot of different ways that are not disclosed. Like, for instance, running ads on issues that pertain to um, the candidates. And so certainly, um, you know, we don't know the full universe of spending in this space. This is just the disclosed spending um, as uh, pulled by our one of the, our partner organizations, Open Secrets. Helpful. 
What's the next thing for people to watch for? Obviously, what happens right now in the U.S. Senate around the around any tax reform efforts, around any tax fairness efforts, around any revenue efforts, that's maybe the thing. Maybe there's beats along the way that you're tracking on that. What do you want people to watch for next? Well, definitely this, um, you know, this is the game right now is the whole reconciliation fight, uh, paying for all those very important Build Back Better investments, things like child care or child tax credit, um, you know, just investments in elder care, expanding Medicare, um, you know, there are very important investments to make everyday lives everyday Americans lives better. And so, you know, one of the ways that we can make sure it gets through is to make sure that it's um, is paid for so that it's not increasing the deficit. Um, that being said, you know, many people have supported deficit spending. We, we have um, definitely supported in the past, but this is the time to pay for these investments because it means that we'll get some of these tax policy changes that will make our tax code more fair. So we're really excited about it. This is the thing to watch. Um, I think, you know, like you said, there's elements to keep your eye on. For example, the stuff that I mentioned before that seems really likely to make it in, the 15% minimum tax, the tax on stock buybacks, those changes on the multinational taxation front, um, some of these investments to the IRS, but there are things that are not on the table that should be on the table. So um, something that's called a billionaire income tax, that's a nickname for um, the proposal that would ensure as assets accrue over time, but are not being taxed because they're being held by the same person. We need to get rid of that and make sure that those assets are taxed on a regular basis. And so um, that sort of thing right now, um, we need to get back in the mix. So that's the kind of thing that I'm working on. And then, um, you know, outside of this, you know, one of the issues I spend most of my time working on, unfortunately, hasn't been part of the discussion uh, as far as a pay for for the reconciliation plan. And that's a tax on Wall Street trades. Um, also called a financial transaction tax. So I would love to come back and talk all about that. We did another money and politics report on that, about the companies that are um, opposing that legislation. And so um, that's a really tiny tax of about 10 cents per every $100 traded. Um, that would bring $752 billion over 10 years. And so really um, substantial pots of money that have been part of the discussion. So I want to make sure that um, everybody across the country understands that there are these options for making sure that industries like Wall Street pay their fair share while keeping up the drumbeat and making sure that um, other corporations are also paying at least a minimum tax. So um, doing all those things at once. Well, I want to say thank you so much, Susan Harley, Managing Director of Public Citizens Congress Watch Division and Public Citizens Price of Zero Report. Thanks for being with us, Susan. Really appreciate it. It was nice seeing you, and we hope to talk again. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'd be happy to come back anytime. Be well. Thank you. Democracy Nerds recorded in sunny Portland, Oregon, produced by Kyle Curtis. Thanks also to technical producer Sig Seliger. Logo designed by Kat Buckley at kbuckleygraphics.com. I am Jefferson Smith. Thank you so much for listening. You can rate and review. Hope you will. And follow Democracy Nerd on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Past episodes of the show, Democracy Nerd, can be found online at democracynerd.us. Go America. Thank you. 
Thank you, democracy.